What's up, what's up? It's Eitan Press here in the holy city of Jerusalem, and this is the Listen Israel podcast where I share some of the fascinating people, places, ideas, and life that I encounter here in Israel. And today's show is with email entrepreneur Gary Levitt. Gary built the email marketing company Mad Mimi and sold it to GoDaddy in a very successful exit in 2014. And he built it with no investment, mind you. And so I wanted to get into the mind of this entrepreneur and find out what makes him tick and share it with you. So let's get into the show. How you doing, Gary? Good, thank you. So I'm just going to tell a quick story about uh, what turned me on to Gary. I um, found out that Mad Meme was acquired by GoDaddy, and within the space of like one or two days, I was riding back from a wedding to my apartment, and I saw Gary on a bus riding back to his place, and I thought to myself, wow. Like, you know, here's Gary with his big kippah and big tzitzis and big beard, you know, and he looks like a nachlaot hippie, and anybody who would look at him would have no clue that his company was just acquired by GoDaddy, right? And that really turned me on to what I perceive to be his relationship to success in business, how a person relates to money, and how a person moves through the world. So, Gary, thank you so much for uh, being here with me today on Listen Israel. Sure. Thanks for the nice, uh, nice words. <laughs> yeah. So, so Gary, I'll just just a, a few more quick stats. Like, um, at around the time when um, Mad Mimi was acquired by GoDaddy, you were Mad Mimi was sending around fifty million emails a day. Yeah, so um, at that point, the Mimi business was fairly strong, and um, uh, around 15,000 uh, paying users and another 200,000, 250,000 uh, free users who were, uh, yeah, generating around 50 million emails a day, which is around 0.2% of the, the world's email volume. So, um, you know, certainly quite an active business. And you were competing with MailChimp, you were competing with... Constant Contact, MailChimp, iContact, Campaign Monitor, you know, there are a few players. Um, and it was, uh, it was, Mimi had its own, had its own vibe, its own design, its own uh, sort of uh, demographic that uh, it was uh, most successful with in the marketplace. But yeah, those were the, the competing forces at the time. So b- before we get into the, to the details of, 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 the, of the business side, um, I just want to zoom out a little bit because as a successful entrepreneur, um, one of the you know, questions that I would like to know more from like a psychological perspective is like, how do you define money? What is money? Um, Money is something that I, I guess you um, it keeps changing what what um, what what money represents uh, as you get older and as you get more experienced. Uh, but I think primarily um, money represents uh, opportunity, and when you have opportunity uh, to to do things, um, you have to constantly be evaluating well um, what's the best thing to be doing at this moment with the money. Um, the most significant perspective shift, I think, um, that money sort of might uh, sort of bring into somebody is uh, analysis. Uh, how do you analyze uh, something that is uh, a, a viable, uh, something that best uses that opportunity to to give to to help to support? Uh, versus, uh, you know, what factors are uh, what factors do I look for that 
might make something seem like uh, not such a good opportunity to to engage. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And uh, how would you define an entrepreneur? I would define an entrepreneur as somebody who um, somebody who really sucks at having a job. <laughs> somebody uh, who is also schedule oriented and is happy to work hard. So I think that those two things go hand in hand. Um, if you find yourself having a hard time um, working for somebody else, uh, fitting within uh, molds or fitting within sort of uh, corporate structure, and at the same time, uh, you're extremely committed and dedicated and are uh, able to um, hold a schedule and uh, you know get up early and go to bed late, etc. Those uh, you know you 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 also have a will to not waste time. Those uh, those are factors that I think uh, contribute to successful, or at least can define a successful. Entrepreneur. So I'm gonna have to. I'm gonna take a have to stay, take a step back here, Gary, because I I know a little bit of your story, and you know you just said that like part of uh, what can make an entrepreneur is someone who doesn't fit within existing corporate structures, right? And and I totally relate to that on a personal level. But at the same time, I know that you were willing to work for free um, in structures in order to to get where you are today. Uh, can you talk about that a little bit? And and you could say just start with uh, your music business. Sure. Um, and uh, so and on that note, when I say music business, um, before Gary became a successful email entrepreneur, he was actually a successful musician and even wrote music for the Oprah Winfrey Show. But how he got there required a lot of work. So, um, you know, it wasn't always quite so glamorous. Um, after Berkeley Music School as an electric bass player who was really committed to playing jazz, you know, that's really what I thought my life would be around. Um, it, it, was, it was difficult to get gigs, so I was always kind of um, making my own things happen. And then moving to New York, uh, there is, you know, to be fully sort of honest, there is a, uh, an appeal to a bohemian, um, romantic, New York City lifestyle of you know I don't want I don't want help from nobody and uh, working hard in a restaurant um, held some of that romance for me which was probably an initial motivation uh, and when I realized that it wasn't so easy to get a job in a restaurant having no experience um, then I typically ask myself okay there's something that I want let me do, let me sort of go above and beyond in order to acquire it, not just by saying, uh, oh, these are the barriers. I first need to uh, overcome these barriers. I never asked myself, uh, or, or I never said to myself, oh, I'm being, being rejected for this busboying gig at this kind of mediocre restaurant, um, therefore I need experience first. I said, well, what if I didn't have experience, what would be the other thing that would make it appealing enough for them to hire me, which is no matter, well, I'll work for free. So uh, to offset the fact that experience was lacking, um, I try to create a compelling counter story, which was I'll work for free. And I think that that's really um, the, the fundamental sort of um, behavior that I feel like I, I naturally um, put out there when it, uh, sort of tackling a challenge, which is 
um, using creativity and often at my expense to uh, to work my way around linear uh, linear barriers, whether it's experience, whether it's the idea that I need a university degree to get such and such a job or such and such a um, you know to belong to such and such a group. Uh, there are creative ways if you're willing to sacrifice a little bit of uh, your own sort of personal comfort to um, to really get to that same endpoint. Um, and and in that process of moving from you know working in a restaurant and as a busboy and then working as a musician and eventually working for Oprah and this whole process, one of the things that you shared with me is the idea of like um, a, a extreme focus on quality. Can you talk about? how you helped improve your uh, quality as a musician, the strategy that you used? Of, uh... Sure. Um, you know, in uh, Jewish lingo, you could say tachlis. Um, I'm not a very tachlis person, but I, um, I certainly appreciate the existence of tachlis, and, and I, I work towards tachlis in sometimes very non-tachlis ways, but um, I think a core appreciation for, for Tachlis, uh, it can be sort of manifest in music by um, listening to the best musicians and understanding that in order to be a good musician, uh, you have to really imitate them, not just play the music that's in your head. You, you have to kind of... Um, establish a hero for yourself, um, strong musician, strong design standards, strong uh, production standards, strong anything standards, strong writing, strong grammar, strong anything. And um, you, you really have to just put that in a, in a little crystal vase and, and continue to, at all costs, shoot for that and not rely on your own sense of uh, you know, what makes something good or not. Um, and you even paid musicians to play with you. Yeah, um, in order to play with strong musicians because um, at its core, being around strong people helps you to be strong. And being around weak people keeps you, um, keeps you at their level. So uh, where possible, um, it's really good to always hang around, connect with, uh, explore with, people who are uh, much stronger than you and do whatever you can to effectively um, be in their, in, their, in their group, in their circle. And, and then how did you go, so how did you end up working for Oprah? Uh, after years, obviously, of you know, working as a busboy and then trying to get into commercial music because um, it was a way of making music and making a little bit more money than playing jazz gigs in New York offered. I sent around email newsletters, and I thought, well, what can I bring that's unique to the commercial music scene? Well, I can be, I can make South African music well, which was kind of a, a really lame idea because, I mean, the commercial music market for South African music is um, almost zero. So I created emails um, to promote South African music, and I, I got uh, this very awesome clay artist in South Africa to kind of produce this whole clay scene and that was my kind of branding and my logo and I contacted Norman Catherine which is like 
his art is in MoMA, um, to ask him to do me a logo. I mean, just utterly bizarre. And guess what? <laughs> Norman Catherine actually did me a logo for my South African music company. Um, really, I didn't, I didn't really care for, for limits, and I always started at the top and worked my way down. So the same thing. I started emailing um, top creative directors, and eventually one of them forward, forwarded my South African email to Oprah, and Oprah actually needed a South African piece of music. So um, one day, um, her assistant called me, and uh, it was pretty funny um, that they wanted me to do music for a, for a film. But this is after years, at least six years of struggling in New York City. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it wasn't immediate. Mm -hmm. And were you married by this time? or um, I, I think it was... Uh, I had... You were like living in a studio apartment. Yeah, yeah, no, but I think I was actually married. I think that that was the same year that I, I got married. It might have wow. happened just after I got married. But when mm -hmm. I did get married, I, I didn't, you know, I wasn't, mm -hmm. I was trying to, trying to put together a, a Jewish wedding band, which uh, I couldn't understand why religious Jewish weddings weren't responding to my mixed dancing um, Jewish wedding video. <laughs> but anyway, the, that wasn't successful. And then, again, the Oprah thing also wasn't very easy. I mean, that... There's no such thing as free money. That was a lot of music and a lot of work for, for nothing up front. Um, mm -hmm. And I also needed to get out of that, and that's really why I transitioned into tech. And then how did you get into tech? Uh, I was hanging out one day and um, looking on my web host for GLDL Music, which was my commercial music company, and I um, noticed a little Ruby logo, and I clicked on that Ruby logo and it went to the Ruby on Rails website, which is a development framework. And it said, uh, web development that doesn't hurt. So um, it immediately popped up in my, in my head, well, wow, you know, maybe I should make a, uh, a commercial website. And then I started kind of pondering what would make it, you know, what does the world need in a commercial website product? And initially I thought to con compete with a company called Sonic Bids, which made, uh, allowed musicians to create online press kits. Which and would make sense considering you were a musician. I was a musician, yeah. Did I really understand anything about musicians and gigs and booking and all that stuff? Not so much because I was in the jazz world and it's a little bit different. But um, uh, that process didn't go very well because uh, effectively what came out after a few months of um, using uh, $10,000 that I'd sort of cobbled together and mostly invested from a little bit of money that I made from the Oprah stuff. Mm -hmm. I um, I put together a, a effectively jumbled, useless application that served absolutely no purpose well enough to be uh, useful to people. So you're saying that your first venture failed? Yeah, which was Mad Mimi, which is you know music industry marketing interface. Uh, so I tried to... the first version of Mad Mimi was an epic failure. Yeah. Yeah, and after a few months, uh, I had nothing, and the engineers needed to get paid, and they were paid. And um, thank God, at that time, I, I also hired extraordinarily strong engineers. It was just a, a lack of a lack of guidance and um, understanding of software development that resulted in the uh, the failure. Um, and the, and and. My next step was to get an architect, um, an, uh, an agile architect, to, to actually help me map out exactly what my product was and what it wasn't. 
and um, a linear progression of you know what's the first version, what's the second version, what's the third version. But you also started doing massive amounts of research yourself, right? Like you, you know, you read everything that you could in terms. I really of didn't. I only did half of one book, which was called Head First HTML. It's a great book. Mm-hmm. Um, I but did in terms that in of design, in terms of things like that. I pick up little terms here and there. Somebody said a word visual persistence to me. And I said, hey, what's visual persistence? And they said, when everything lines up. That was enough design lesson for me. All I had to check for now is making sure stuff doesn't line up. You can't really learn design by books. What you can learn is design through strong observation of the best designed websites out there and um, a hardcore drive to imitate, 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 imitate. Mm -hmm. If you can imitate the strongest design, Mm -hmm. um, eventually you'll get sick of looking at your mere imitation. And at that point, um, you start to innovate. Hmm. Wow. Wow. And so, and so then you went from, and so another part of the Mad Mimi story that's so fascinating to me is that you had like no VC investment at all. Um, yeah, I, I didn't have any any sort of prerequisites to making an appealing story to VC. You know, even today, even though I could technically put together a compelling story for VC for a subsequent project that I'm working on, um, I don't really know where to start. You know, I, I would probably be classified as a social reject of the tech world. Um, hmm. I'm not in the scene. I don't even believe that being in the scene is helpful to human beings or people. It just kind of, you know, being in the scene is good for some people. But I think um, it certainly stifles creativity. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, Mimi, I had to learn how to design because I didn't have money to pay a designer. So I designed the first version of Mimi, implemented every line of HTML and CSS. With, uh, you know, it took me a year to get good at HTML and CSS, but I started applying it after only two weeks of uh, head first HTML, mm-hmm. the book. Mm-hmm. Wow. Wow. And, um, but eventually it started to grow. Yeah. How did you launch Mad Mimi? Like, that's actually another question. Like, how did you go from having the idea, doing the development, I suppose, working in like a beta version to actually like launching the project product and also succeeding with almost no marketing? Um, okay. So launching the, launching the product was something that, you know, people said the word launch, 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 launch. And I was thinking like wow, this has to be a thing with like flames and engines, like a rocket kind of launches. Uh, not true. <laughs> Mimi's launch was simply the publishing of a blog post um, in, one of the, in one of the blogs that I um, shared, um, shared the existence of Mad Mimi with, which was many, many tens and tens of tier one, tier one um, blog pub- publications. Uh, one of them picked it up, which happened to be Mashable, Mm-hmm. And it was a very short article. It said, um, you know, I was e- simple and beautiful email marketing. At that time, which was really nine years ago, simple email marketing didn't exist yet because the existing players are a little bit more mid-market focused. So I was kind of like invoking a playful, feminine, cute, colorful version of email that um, simply wasn't around. And Mashable, you know, found value in, in, in writing an article that was really the launch. It, some traffic came to the site. Um, there were a thousand visits that day, which isn't very much, um, but it was enough for me. There were a few signups, and you know, one sign up a month the first month, two the second month, zero the third month. You know, 
three the fourth, fourth month, and then 10 the fifth month, and then 20 the sixth month, and then it kind of went a little bit um, in a compounded way. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you mean it started to But grow. there was no, there was no moment of launch. There was no launch party. There was no nothing. It was me sitting in Starbucks, and all of a sudden I saw that the post posted, and all of a sudden people are like signing up and writing me emails. How do I do this? How do I do that? Lots of bugs, lots of stuff to fix. Um, but that was really the launch process. It wasn't um, nothing, nothing glamorous. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then, and so how did you, I mean, if you were getting, you know, one or two signups a day, you know, or a month actually is what you're saying, f- right? For the first month, uh, yeah, it was, it was really, realistically, it was really, a, it was one, paying, one paid sign up the first month. I think to the second month. How did you? How did you not lose your resolve? Um, the, 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 there was no better alternative. Um, it was better to be, and, and that's also made it a little bit easier. Like I had nothing to lose. Mm-hmm. There was nothing to lose. Uh, so my resolve was simply resolve in one difficult direction versus another difficult direction. There were no. Uh, there were no easy ways out. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. In fact, today is a lot harder. Where I have more resources, um, it, I have I have effectively less resolve, which is which is dangerous for a subsequent, um, you know, entrepreneurs. I also I have a heck of a lot more skill and a lot more understanding. But um, whether the, the, the whole uh, I need to succeed or I'm dead. Um, psychology uh, is lacking with with sort of post uh, post success entrepreneurs let's just say post uh, mm-hmm. uh, or, or even potentially people with VC money mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and and what is the relationship between you said before that like you're a social reject of the tech world and then in some ways that's a good thing because um, when you're not quote-unquote in the scene um, there's more room for creativity. Can you say a little bit more about the relationship between creativity and entrepreneurship? Sure. Um, so, so creativity means um, the ability to think freely um, without following what other people around you say is the right way to do something. Um, and that is really the, the core advantage of having your little baby finger in the scene, but the rest of you outside of it, is that uh, the scene always creates modes of doing something uh, that are sort of ubiquitous. They, they can't help it. It's, it's, it's processes get established. Um, most of these processes are fairly efficient, uh, whether it's Processes around which, which, uh, how to raise money, um, what a, what a, what your development process should look like, where to find developers, how to find developers, what software language to use, all the little design, how to do design, which designers to hire, what, what, what frameworks to use, what platform, etc. Um, there's what to learn from there, um, but at the end of the day. Uh, Creativity, along with uh, an obsession around uh, comparing yourself to the absolute best uh, websites on the planet. Um, uh, like Airbnb is a really good website. 
don't do less than Airbnb level user interface design and, and execution. Um, you don't need a lot of money to do that. You just need um, you just need like the awareness. So you're talking about like uh, having models. Yeah, and models are easy because there's lots of successful websites out there that you can use as a model. Mm-hmm. Whether it's just websites or really talking about apps, I mean, there's a lot of great apps there. That, but you always got to have your models be um, not non-compromising. So there's a whole other element that we've left out of this conversation at this point, um, which is that you know you're also a uh, practicing, for lack of a better word, Orthodox Jew. I know I don't like labels or things like that, but how does spirituality fit into uh, entrepreneurship? How does um, connecting to you know the divine or even, let's even use the word religion fit into all of this? Um, so the interesting thing about you know being Jewish is that you know, we don't per se walk around floating on a pink spiritual cloud all day long. You know, we're, um, uh, it's an observance that, uh, especially, you know, the spiritual and even Hasidic perspective um, infuses itself in every mundane activity. And therefore, I think um, uh, being, being focused on uh, making a Kiddush Hashem um, being focused on uh, being focused on integrity and like bottom line and um, things that most people would associate as the opposite of a spiritual existence, which is, is really tachlis, like um, how how people engage with the expression of you, which is your product or your app or whatever, that, that, that engagement should always be imbued with, um, with, your, with your ideals, which are, you know, to, to infuse the world with uh, a Jewish energy, which is, which is, which is light and, and, uh, and a certain softness uh, that um, that I think allows for uh, a lot of breadth in um, a, in any output, whether it's creating a technology product or whether it's creating a physical uh, a physical good. Um, I would say that that's uh, you know those are areas of the synthesis of um, uh, spirituality, Jewish spirituality, and um, and for and business. So you're saying that the bottom line is not separate from bringing light into the world. No, the bottom line is is bringing light into the world, but you can only do that if certain factors line up. So therefore, uh, you know, and also I would take one step back and 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 say um understanding that success and failure doesn't come from you. It comes from it comes from way 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 above you. Uh is an important uh is an important uh, force that holds your hand through the creation of something that might otherwise be quite scary. Um, you just have to do what you do and do it well and do it appropriately. And um, response will happen from outside of you. Um, you don't control everything. You don't control uh, money. You don't control success. You don't control, uh, you really don't control anything. Um, but all you do control is the ability to be tachless, 
the ability to mamash model yourself around the finest execution, the finest level of quality, that's within your control because those are using your powers of observation and your powers of acknowledgement and assessment and uh, analysis and learning and do all those things and um, the religious perspective I think uh, says that's all you have to do and if you had uh, one piece of advice to you know someone who says you know I really I want to get involved in startup I have an idea I want to I actually think it could succeed like what 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 piece of advice as a person who had an idea and made it succeed what what advice would you offer um Start in whatever way possible, getting your hands dirty in making that idea manifest, even if it's in the most crude way possible. Acquire some of the most fundamental tools in the area where your um, where your product is going to live, whether it's on a mobile platform or whether it's on the web or whether it's um, whether you're a furniture artist making a wooden chair. Um, don't just have the idea for a wooden chair and then hire people to make your chair. Get the idea for the chair. Get a saw. Get a piece of wood. Start trying to make your chair yourself. Um, this can certainly be intimidating for people who have uh, a, a, a sort of a big aversion to anything technical. Um, but really there is no way to make a technical thing if you're... by by definition, non, have no desire to be a little technical. Um, to make it shorter, I would say that um, when you're starting your idea, um, it's appropriate to um, map out your idea using, um, using uh, story mapping techniques. Um, story mapping, it's easy, you can just Google it. Uh, your idea has to be um, sort of mapped out and scoped out in, in a story. Uh, every successful product really has also a successful story that it tells. Uh, and those two components, I think those two, those two sides will, um, are a safe way to kind of um, get any type of idea uh, off the ground. If you have an idea about carpentry, start learning about carpentry. If it's about tech, start learning some HTML, start learning the fundamentals of um, technology and then mapping out your idea. And um, That's what you did. Yeah, and, and, and doing story mapping. I only did story mapping after the first iteration of the product um, didn't succeed in coming mm -hmm. alive. Mm -hmm. And then I realized, like, wow, I actually need to understand what this thing is. Because mm -hmm. often what you think an idea is in the beginning when you start to actually bring it down, it starts to feel and look a lot less exciting. The process of uh, emotional reconciliation with, yes, my idea when it's on paper is a lot less exciting. And now I've even got to slim it down further to get it out there as a first version. Well, that's really not exciting. Um, and if human beings knew that babies were effectively, you know, um, what do you call it, needy or... Uh, um, High maintenance. Fully, fully unable to be productive for their first, uh, I don't know, four years of life, five years of life. Like, uh, you, you know, a parent might say, well, you know, what's the point? 
Um, but the, the, the first iteration, I don't know if it's such a safe thing to go into human, human sort of biology to make this analogy, but um, a baby is the first iteration of the human being, and it grows and it grows and it grows. But a baby is not a highly productive, fantastic, you know, professional human being with high productivity and, um, and fancy thoughts. Uh, a baby is a very, you know, very much a first version of anything. So, you know, that's kind of how, how life works and how, how product works. Wow. Gary Levitt, CEO of GoDaddy Israel, founder of Mad Mimi Email Marketing. Thank you so much for being with me today on the Listen Israel podcast. Sure. And that is the end of today's show. Thank you so much for listening to Listen Israel. You can find out more at listenisrael.com. You know, that metaphor of a first product, a startup, you know, being like a baby that you have to give time and love to, very, very powerful. You can also find us on Facebook and give us a like and subscribe to us on iTunes and leave us a review. Let me know how we're doing. Thank you so much for listening and shalom.